0: hello i'm michael watson and this is the influence watch podcast If you listen to the metropolitan press, the radical left ideology of critical race theory is not taught in public schools. But across the country, parents are objecting to curriculum material and education practices that are clearly informed or inspired by the precepts of critical race theory and are being promoted to school districts by consultancies and advocacy groups, some of which are backed by the biggest names in big business and big philanthropy. Joining me to discuss one such group, The Education Trust, and the broader trends of critical race theory in schools is Jay Green, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation Center for Education Policy. Uh, Jay, before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with the Heritage Foundation?
1: Sure. So um, I've been with the Heritage Foundation uh, since June. Prior to that, I was a distinguished professor and uh, head of the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas for the last 16 years. So I've done a variety of Research on education policy issues, uh, uh, including studying uh, the role of of foundations uh, in
0: influencing education policy. All right. Uh, So I guess I mean, in that case, give us the background on on both the sort of rise of critical race theory in education and the big institutions that have been driving it. Sure. in In a broad sense.
1: Right. Um, well, so so I don't know that we could say that that big foundations are the main driving force behind critical race theory. I don't think they are. Um, but I think uh, they're clearly on board for it now uh, when we're talking about the, the
0: largest donors in the education policy space. Uh, most. And what, of time, what are what are some of the what are some of the big like if you had a big three or a big four, who would they be? sure
1: so some of the biggest are are um the bill and melinda gates foundation although i'm not sure if it's melinda gates anymore it might just be gates foundation <laughs> uh not not sure how they've renamed it um uh, but the gates foundation is is probably by far the largest in terms of uh total assets and annual spending in the education policy space um uh, the walton family foundation is also very large in this space uh um, and then also there are more um, uh, focused uh, foundations um, uh, in education, um, uh, as well as uh, some very old legacy ones, including Ford Foundation, Carnegie Foundation,
0: uh, Rockefeller Foundation. The uh, the class the classic left progressive foundations. Right, are, right. They're um, not the
1: biggest players though. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, but but the new bigger ones are Gates, Walton, Arnold, Chan, Zuckerberg. Um, Arnold Arnold is John Arnold. Right, that's right. Okay. Uh, I think it, that one is the John Laura and John Arnold Foundation. Or yes. It might now be called Arnold Ventures. Right, yeah,
0: the- it's the it's the the same thing that Chan Zuckerberg does, where they have the foundation and they have it all under the auspices of. Uh, of an entity that does more than just charitable, organi- charitable organization activity, right? They have an LLC, um, and that LLC
1: gives them some flexibility for what has to be publicly disclosed and what
0: not, and and also what they can do in a political and advocacy space if they wished.
1: Right, they can have a C four housed uh, within the LLC, um, and then they can more easily. Uh, Toggle between their C
0: three and C four activities. So, how? So n- now to the the critical race theory itself. Like how? What the metropolitan press always says. You know, the the opponents of opponents of critical race theory. People who are anti anti critical race theory. Right. Uh, they say that it is it's not taught in schools. It's this uh, esoteric law law school level theory that applies to legal interpretation. Uh, Why is that wrong? (laughs) So
1: I'm not sure that it is wrong. Um, I think the truth is that critical race theory is simply a shorthand that critics have uh, of, of critical race theory have adopted to capture a set of ideas, some of which might actually have their origins in traditional critical race theory, and some of which have origins elsewhere, but frankly, there had to be some way to come up with a, a concise title to capture a set of ideas that have certain essential components in them.
0: So uh, what, are, what are those ideas and what are the essential yeah, components?
1: So, so, um, so I think some of the essential components are um, a belief uh, in in race essentialism, that is that that race your race is an essential part of who you are, and how you behave, and how society functions, um, uh, and that it's, it's central to, or the mo- perhaps even the most important thing for understanding um, you and, and the society you live in. And there's also uh, the belief that, um, that it's in some ways unchangeable, that is that you can't shed uh, your race or the role of race in society—that so mm. it's un- unchangeable in some in some deep way—and then um, uh, I think there's the belief that that um, people then can be divided by racial, uh, ethnic, and uh, perhaps sexual identity uh, lines into uh, two big categories: the category of oppressor and the category of oppressed, and that the uh, two groups then deserve different treatment, uh, that equity or justice demand that the oppressor is treated differently than the oppressed. Uh, The oppressor in some ways deserves to have their privilege taken away, to be treated harshly, and the oppressed deserve assistance and remedy for for past wrongs.
0: So, how does that then manifest in public, you know, in g- grade to high school level public education? And feel free to use the Education Trust as a sort of example.
1: Sure. So look, I mean, so I think most people who are, uh, uh, um, whose thoughts are are deeply informed by critical, ra- what we're calling critical race theory here, um, might not, that it's critical race theory, and they might not even know it by the name critical race theory, but they still hold these basic tenets of it that we've just described dear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it informs their practice in schools. And I think it's becoming fairly widespread,
0: um, which is why we have- This isn't, this, this isn't just a Berkeley and Boston thing. This is right. this no, expanded this is, out.
1: Right. It's it's It has- slowly but surely made its way through the education system so that even people who don't really have any understanding of what the the term critical race theory is uh, are nonetheless doing it or at least a little bit doing it. Um, And then there are um, advocacy organizations that are actively trying to accelerate that spread and deepen its hold. Uh, And one of those is an organization called Education Trust. Um, And it's interesting because Education Trust um, used to prioritize a very different set of policies in the past, um, largely centered around um, accountability measures um, that
0: is ensuring that... Like, like uh, um, Like teacher accountability or... Uh, well,
1: right. Uh, they, I don't know that they would have preferred holding teachers accountable, but they wanted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, standardized testing. Uh, Me- measure,
0: measure, Measurement, if not necessarily for teacher accountability, to determine whether education was working.
1: That's right. They wanted management by measurement. Um, so they had a technocratic orientation, uh, certainly early on, and were advocates for these kind of, of technocratic reforms where – Um, A centralized authority would, you know, determine the outcomes, would develop measures of those outcomes, collect those measures and then decide um, how to uh, adapt policy training or consequences in a way so as to improve those outcomes. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, where Education Trust was in its earlier incarnation. But, um, But many of these organizations in the advocacy space, including Education Trust, Follow popular trends, and they also follow trends in funding. And so, uh, the, the those trends have moved o- away from accountability um, and have have moved more towards uh, the promotion of social justice um, uh, a- the sort and of the
0: sort of left progressive social policy, especially regarding race.
1: Exactly, which which then it really fully encompasses what we've been talking about as critical race theory. Now, they're they're doing it, interestingly, also uh, in in the guise of what's called social-emotional learning. Um, So so, uh, social-emotional learning was a a term that used to kind of represent a a set of skills and and abilities uh, that that, um, helped People become successful in their adult lives that were independent of content knowledge. So these would be things like punctuality might be a social emotional
0: skill. Your sort your sort of classic job skills and life skills that, you know, back back in the day that you would learn by working a shift at McDonald's.
1: Right. These these might be a little bit independent of academic content knowledge, but they're still important for success in life, and schools may play some important role in conveying these social-emotional skills. Now, in their earliest incarnation, what we now call social-emotional skills uh, used to be called character, um, right, or, mm-hmm. or virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've kind of uh, transformed what our traditionally religious concepts into what are now uh social scientific
0: concepts and mm-hmm. they've been stripped of their kind of original moral and religious content and even beyond moral and religious they're sort of they're even they sort of classical content you know right well to the extent i mean they're, right. they're,
1: Right. We, we have not only lost their, their original religious content, um, but we've also now lost their work-related content, and they've now just incorporated a new type of moral content, which is the critical race theory
0: stuff is now the new skill that, that we need to be proficient at. So now how does a group like the Education Trust train I mean, I mean, and tell me whether are they training students directly, are they training teachers uh, to form the, the moral sense of under this moral framework of critical race theory or that we are they, calling critical race theory?
1: Look, I think there's good news here. <laughs> the good news is I think they're largely not training or influencing anyone um, uh, like a lot of foundation activity. Um, uh, It pays for a group of people to sit around and write white papers and put them up on the Internet. Um, hold conferences uh, where they talk about them, uh, make speeches about how right they are, and so on. And it's it's really a group of several hundred people all talking to each other, but having relatively little effect on the outside world. And and I'm inclined to believe that that's largely true of education trust. So the the good news here is uh, probably not too much damage being done by by what I think are are some nonsensical ideas. Um, so I think in some ways they're reflecting, uh, again, mm-hmm. some broader trends and not causing them. I don't think that there's um, this conspiracy where the foundations want these things to happen. They pay advocacy groups like EdTrust to promote them, and then EdTrust brainwashes our teachers with them, and that's how we get them. I actually don't think that that's largely what happened. I think instead the foundations and EdTrust may be reflecting these trends. Mm-hmm. And so the the harm being done here... Uh, is more in the uh, wasted resources and opportunity, um, as well as the general contribution to a uh, counterproductive intellectual uh, culture. uh, What are are some examples
0: of people who might be thinking of more productive things? Mm -hmm. What are are some of the examples of those counterproductive activities and ideas and how how is how are those resources wasted what are they wasted on
1: well they're wasted on writing reports about how um uh uh, social emotional learning actually involves treating people differently by race um and that teachers need to understand that they need to treat uh students differently by race because their circumstances are fundamentally different by race and therefore um be, interventions related to behavior or academic achievement have to reflect uh, at, at what they believe is a proper understanding of how the world uh, has unjustly arranged resources and circumstances for people by race. That's, that's a big part of yeah. what they're doing work on. Now, I don't think they're getting teachers to actually do these things, but that's what they're advocating for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now teachers are doing those things though, <laughs> um, but they're not doing them because EdTrust tells them to. I, I think most teachers have no idea who EdTrust is.
0: So, um, so, so is it? I mean, I guess tell. I guess let's kind of tease out the dynamics here. So, is it that teachers are becoming very interested in this sort of thing, and then it goes up the chain, or is it? I is think it, it's
1: in it. This is like uh, like fluoride in the water. This is just kind of the the intellectual environment that teachers are operating in. It has mm, been mm. increasingly shaped by this set of ideas, um, and uh, and they get it a little bit in ed school. They get it a little bit by the consultants that their schools hire and bring in. Um, their administrators in their district and in, in, their schools may glom onto these ideas because they think they're fashionable
0: and are, yeah, raised- I, mean, I mean, you've, you've, you've written quite a bit on the DEI diversity, equity, inclusion industry, right? right. It is to a be huge
1: a- industry of consultants, uh, bringing in trainings. Um, but I don't want to overstate how effective any of these trainings are. I mean, people aren't easily brainwashed and,
0: and these trainings largely stink, Right. I mean, right. Like, I, I mean, I, I'd assume that's part of why we know about especially the most egregious ones. Right. Is people going, you know, this is nonsense. This offends, uh, you know, well, this this offends my general sense that we should treat people equally based on on their ethnic background rather than differentially. <laughs>
1: Well, some people grumble about that and slip the information out to, you know, people like Chris Rufo or, or you know, my colleagues, um, uh, you know, Jonathan Butcher and Mike Gonzalez at the Heritage Foundation. And that's how we learn about these things. But most teachers um, are relatively compliant. And, you know, if they're told this is the kind of thing they're supposed to be doing, then they – it's not that they fully internalize it and believe it, but they try
0: to go, go along. You go through the, you go through the motions to get a paycheck.
1: Yeah. No, they're not very good at it either. So I don't think that there's a big conspiracy of them again being brainwashed, but but they um but it's it is shaping the direction of where they're putting their energy in counterproductive ways to focus on race in these negative ways. And and that is that's really problematic and it's seeping into what kids think so look these this is again like what we're drinking in our water and over a very long period of time it can poison our society with some very bad ideas Mm
0: -hmm. so what uh you know so knowing that you can have these you know this is the kind of intellectual environment that the teachers of both today and tomorrow are being formed what what can be done uh either in terms of public advocacy, persuasion, uh, but also in terms of parents and policymakers, uh, parents well, making decisions.
1: Yeah, so I think there's good news here, too. Uh, I think the good news is that the majority of parents actually are not really interested in this stuff. Um, it's not that they have some strongly held ideological opposition. It's just that they have very practical concerns, right? They hmm. they care about their kids. They want their kids to be normal, finish school, get a job, form new families, and have decent lives, right? They have kind of very practical concerns that most parents have. Um, and then when they detect things that might interfere with that future path for their children, they get a- concerned about it, and they begin to oppose it. And I think a big part of what happened during the pandemic here is that parents became more acutely aware of what exactly was being taught to their kids. They got right, when to when see you make them, when you make
0: them when you make parents Proctor Zoom school because the teachers unions won't let the schools reopen all of a sudden they know what's being taught. Exactly. They could see the lessons, also materials were being sent home,
1: they could look at the materials and they began to get alarmed at at stuff that they just struck them as nonsense, not because they're you know, some ideologically committed, you know, conservatives. They're not. They're just very practical people who could see that this is, is, a, is, a, is an, something that might harm their children's future prospects in going down a path that the parents hope the children will go down, uh, of kind of normal life, job, new family, so on. And they don't want their kids to be, you know, radicals with, you know, nose pierces and tattoos and stuff, right? I mean, this this is stuff that freaks people out. Um, Hmm. uh, You don't want your kid to become a radical. You want your kid to kind of come out normal. And they they, they detected uh, this stuff and they began to organize against it. And look, I think the Virginia gubernatorial election was clearly influenced by increasing parent opposition to this type of stuff. Um,
0: and, and to the, and to the that, extent, and to the extent that it is representative of and educate what uh, Max Eden of AEI has called an educational deep state, uh, controlling and having undue influence on uh, not just individual educations but the educational system as a whole, as exemplified by the teachers' union school closures.
1: Right, right. Um, and but 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 the really good news here is it's deeply unpopular among parents and the general public. The parents and the general public uh, are relatively centrist, and they don't go in for what are fairly extreme ideologies. I mean, the critical race right, theory. I stuff. mean, they
0: want their they want their schools to have adequate resources, maybe above adequate resources to teach their kids reading, writing, arithmetic and history and science and all the basic things. They don't want to some... have their
1: kids taught that America is fundamentally bad, that it's a deeply racist and uh, in, 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 in irredeemably racist society. Um, they don't want that. Um, and and they don't want their kids to be told that they're culpable because of their whiteness for for evil in the world. They don't want that. And so they – and and what that means is that when parents are aware of what's going on, and are able to organize and control what happens, then they win. And so the 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 good news for how we're going to counter this is that the more we shine a light on what uh, schools and this education deep state, as as you say, Max Eden describes it, um, is up to. The more that that parents and voters are going to rally against it, and the more it's going to be overturned and blocked. Now, that's only going to be possible, though, if schools are, in fact, accountable to local communities and parents. And to the extent that schools are um, uh, insulated from local democratic accountability or insulated from parent influence, then it's going to be harder. And so the big thing that I think uh, conservative activists can do, in addition to shining the light on what's going on, is is fighting to decentralize control over education, so that communities and parents really can choose the kinds of schools they want and make sure that their kids are not being taught nonsense that they oppose.
0: Now, yeah, look- and then, and then outside of the outside of the sort of pure school choice context, there's also the notion that you know, for a very long time, the teachers unions and the institutional powers that be, uh, when it comes to that sort of local control of the school boards, you know, they've had pretty well the run of the place Uh, and having a countervailing, you know, creating a long standing and uh, consistent countervailing force uh, that's upholding that sort of traditional view of education—that it should be adequately resourced, that it should, uh, you know, teach the, you know, basic academic skills rather than uh, whatever the progressive fad of the moment is, uh, you know, that that that's going to be necessary if 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 we're going to decentralize the education.
1: Right, right, but 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 all's not lost. Uh, if we can decentralize education, shine the light so that parents are aware of what's going on what's going on they'll mobilize and they'll stop it in most places although you know look there may be some communities where parents really want this i don't know san francisco schools might be doing what parents want when they teach this i don't know um and that's okay if communities want to be taught nonsense i guess you know that that's something that they should be able to do we just don't think there are very many such communities out there um And and so the prevalence of these these um, uh, counterproductive ideas about race and America um, are are way too widespread in the education system, largely because they've been either hidden from parents or because parents have been unable to exercise effective control uh, over the education of their own children.
0: Uh, so I guess before we break, is there anything else that you and your colleagues uh, have been working on that you'd like to promote to our listeners? Sure. I mean,
1: so we we just came out with a series of three studies uh, uh, called Diversity University, and the second one was Equity Elementary, and the third was Inclusion Delusion. So three studies, uh, diversity, <laughs> equity, and inclusion in order. It was a beautiful thing. Um, and in it, we we document uh, the extent of of DEI staffing in higher education. Um, and then we show how it's it's actually making its way down into the K-12 system. Uh, and then lastly, we show that actually the the growth of DEI uh, is really just a, a tool for political organization within those school systems, and that uh, in particular, anti-Semitism is strongly associated with uh, DEI staff. Yeah, because these uh, are
0: the the DEI staff tend to be from the very radical left that has taken an increasingly hostile line towards the state of Israel
1: right and and look this is just a canary in the coal mine um, because the truth is they have hostility to a lot of other things that people might think of as decent and sensible but you can more easily pick it up with respect to Jews and that's that's how how we measured it in our Mm -hmm. most recent report inclusion
0: delusion well uh thank you again to Jay Green of the Heritage Foundation Center for Education Policy for joining us Uh, We will include a link to his work, including the three articles mentioned uh, in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.